All right. Well, welcome everybody to the Blofeld podcast. We're your host, Alex and Tucker. And we are back with kind of a mix of some uh, automotive news and F1 news. Um, obviously, some major kind of shakeups in uh, Formula One with, with driver's seats coming into, mm-hmm. uh, you know, nearing the end of the season. And, uh, and also, we had a um, uh, the Japanese Grand Prix, which anointed a, a driver's champion. Uh, so that was this past Sunday, uh, pretty rain soup, rain soaked yeah. uh, Suzuka circuit, which it, it was interesting in that, like the racing, the racing was pretty good. I thought, particularly in the mid pack. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was amazing was so Max Verstappen ended up winning the race, but what was incredible to me is they only did 28 laps because of once oh. the races started, I know, it has yeah. to be completed a certain amount of time. And so because the race got red flagged for like an hour and a half or something. I like that, know that delay was just like, was crazy I, long. I, I watched it um, kind of on demand after. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. glad yeah. I could do that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I did the same thing. Well, I clicked on it because I knew nothing about it. I avoided the news. Mm-hmm. And so I clicked on it. And pushed play, and it was like three hours, thirteen minutes, and I was like, "Ooh, like oh, there's, there was either a big accident or a big rain delay." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. And so, um, so they did twenty eight laps before basically the time ran out. And what was incredible to me is in those twenty eight laps, Max built up a twenty three second lead over second place. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like. Holy crap! He's almost a second lap faster than the second place that, guy. You know that car, man. It's, it's just that car and that driver are just an unbelievable. It's basically pairing. like you know the era of Lewis and the the damn silver arrow. It was just like this yeah. cocktail of rocket fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, it just was on. Yeah, it literally was. It was just unbeatable. Yeah, and, and so, it seems like where we're kind of at, at least. With For this now. first iteration of the new cars, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, I think the so Max Max won. There was some confusion about the points. People actually didn't know. There was kind of an obscure rule about how many points could be awarded, and people thought everyone got half points because the race was shortened. But it actually that only applies if the race can't be completed or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. It was kind of just a weird kind of Byzantine rule, but bottom line is Max ended up securing enough points to um, be officially named the 2022 Drivers' Champion. So mm-hmm. you know, obviously, congrats to him and Red Bull. Like, what a what an amazing like last two thirds of the season, really. I mean, yeah, just dumb, it looked right? like it was just totally dominant. I mean, it looked like Ferrari was really going to put up a fight the first third of the season and. Through obviously a lot of the yeah. errors we talked about before on the show, uh, it didn't happen. But man, like talk about consistency though, like just every you week. know, <clears throat> yeah, and very unflappable. Mm-hmm. You know, even when things are a little dicey and he's, you know, starts ten places behind because of a penalty, mm-hmm. just is not phased by it. I no, think he just I mean, knows like this car is very good. And I'm mm-hmm. a skilled driver, and uh, we can sort this. Yeah, I think you're Charles right. I think is basically the only one out there that seems to challenge him. You know, yeah, and in any way. Yeah, I think he. I think he's just supremely confident. Like you said, it doesn't seem to matter where he starts. Like he can start an eighth, tenth, and it, and it almost feels inevitable that he's going to be getting into the lead at some point. You know. Yeah, um, and that's kind of where I feel like some of these eras are defined by the car and the driver combination like Lewis. I mean, it felt the same mm-hmm. way with Lewis. Like, okay, the guy is at the back of the pack. Yeah. Um, somehow he's going to still win this damn thing. And it's like, yeah, it's I mean, just in the back of your mind. Like he's likely to win it. That, that, and that um, early hybrid turbo era, like no one, like Lewis was the man for yeah. sure. And so you wonder, is that, I'm sure from Lewis's perspective, it's been a lot of kind of shaken confidence with Mm -hmm. um, the transition to a a very different type of car and maybe to some extent different racing. um, Right. Having a 
driving partner who in some respects is kind of here to replace you and not unoften or inoften Mm -hmm. outqualifies you yeah not uncommon that's kind of jarring Mm -hmm. and then you've got max who going into this you know could have potentially had not a great year if you know some of the predictions came about that red bull didn't have the um you know that they that they had a lot of breakdowns and stuff but in fact you you kind of wonder are we watching some you know, cementing of a foundation that we're going to now see, you know, several years of champion. Right. You know. Well, Cause even, even other, if they have like a little bit of misstep on the car next year, they still got a hell of a driver in him. Right. Well, and the other thing is, you know, and this was kind of breaking news at Suzuka is like Honda's kind of getting back into bed again with Red Bull in terms of engine development. Yeah, and, and, I, so, and I assume maybe part of that is because kind of the Porsche thing, whatever the hell that through. was supposed to be, seemed to have, you know, gone by the wayside. Right. Yeah, I think so. So I mean, you've got a you've got a really strong. I mean, Honda obviously has for a long time had very good um, engineering and Formula One engines. So you know, us if they can navigate, <laughs> they can navigate the cost caps. Which yeah. you know, news came out this week that that Red Bull and Aston Martin violated the cost caps, although they haven't announced what the actual. Uh, Which is fascinating to me because it's like I'm a little bit in, intrigued by that because it's like presumably as an organization they have some kind of expensing system mm-hmm. where I mean it's their money they're spending like they should know where it's going. And so like, how, how the hell does the, I don't know anything about it, but it just kind of surprised me. Like, so this other organization is now telling you that your sums don't add up. Right. Where are they getting that information? Like, I don't, I don't understand how that works. Like funny math, funny math. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Yeah. I'll, I'll be curious to see, you know, so far the FIA has been pretty tight lipped about, any penalties or, or points deductions or who knows what that could mean. Maybe, maybe they have even smaller budget operating budget for next season. Um, you know, there's been some shenanigans about how this stuff is calculated anyways. Like I was listening to, I think it was Christian Horner on a podcast, but he, he basically implied that like, you know, the reason that, Red Bull are doing this that that RB twenty whatever hypercar that they're doing that Adrian Newey mm-hmm. designed is so that they could basically keep their some of their engineers on the pair payroll who otherwise would have had to be fired because they mm-hmm. would have exceeded the cost cap. Um, now, if you're going to tell me that those engineers aren't also kind of working on yeah, one yeah, stuff little, off the books. A little pro bono work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like volunteering. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you need a hundred engineers working on like one road yeah. car. You know, oh, so. and I'm sure you know Mercedes and Ferrari. They will probably come out and say, you know, there needs to be extremely severe penalties for this. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I'm sure Toto's already <laughs> on <that> phones. <laughs> There's right. no doubt about it. No, no. It's just, you know, it's when we we accidentally invoiced the wrong espresso machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We bought the yeah we bought the the espresso machine. We bought first class tickets for you know the engineers. Yeah, it just went in the wrong category. It's yeah, it's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like when I turn in my business expenses from a meeting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that steak was less than a hundred dollars. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it. You know, we'll see what comes of it, but yeah. you know, I, I think I think you're right. I think this is obviously not a flash in the pan. Max has been extremely competitive in that car for years now, and I think they're just really finding the groove with that car, that driver, that I team. Think so. They've had yeah. the best, they have, you know, the best car designer in the world right now with Adrian Newey. They've got, you know, 
a, a, a pit crew that's phenomenal, always has the fastest pit stops. Like they're just firing on all cylinders. So uh, and, I think they're for me, a risk I mean, of violence. It's kind of nice. I, I, it's refreshing. I mean, I'm sure I'll get sick of it, you know, if it goes on for two years, because I, I, I do like to see some variety, but um, mm-hmm. it does kind of harken back to when, um, you know, Seb was with them and mm-hmm. kind of they were firing on all cylinders back then. Right. Um, and then Although, you just got into the Mercedes era. And, yeah. Um, and so it'll be, it'll be interesting. I, I do feel like... <clears throat> I will say this, and I don't know how this translates into performance, but I'll Mm -hmm. I'll be interested to see this. So I feel like Mercedes seems to be more of a kind of like a holistic teamwork, less, a little bit more democratic organization, Mm -hmm. whereas Red Bull is very, you know, Who's the new kid? Give them, mm-hmm. you know, twelve races. Not good enough. You're out. Mm-hmm. Who's the new kid that's looking good? We'll try him. Didn't like him. You're out. Right. Sure. Um, Christian Horner is kind of an asshole. Mm-hmm. Max is kind of an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, Helmut Marco kind of an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely an asshole. And uh, <laughs> so I kind of wonder, like, more of a top-down organization mm-hmm. and autocratic. From, yeah. Yeah, and so when it works, it works well. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you know stuff starts to kind of go awry, it's more of a authoritarian type system, mm-hmm. and the harder to fix things. More yeah. like you know the problem is you guys, it's not me. They're, um, and they're afraid to someone you know could be afraid to speak up about what they think may be wrong. That's kind of the feeling I get with that organization, and so. In the long term, I don't see, you know, if you have that kind of philosophy and that kind of mentality that it, I don't know that that kind of mentality breeds long-term success. Mm-hmm. And so it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, maybe we get two or three years out of it and then it kind of goes to hell and maybe, right. you know, a more um, team-centered approach comes in and it's just more consistent. Because then, it, then it, it's it's just a difference where it's like... Okay. You you know, if you see something's wrong, you say something and, and it gets fixed. And it's like, we we set egos aside and we just fix it. Mm-hmm. Whereas that organization is all about the egos. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's like, so anyways, it's like, I don't know. The, uh, just, you know, it's like we talk about at work, like, the you know, different manufacturing methods and, and, you know, looking at, um, you know, event analysis and and saying, okay, well, you know, okay, the end result was this person did the wrong thing. Yeah. But we don't blame the person. We say, okay, what were the system failures that led to that person being in a position to make the wrong decision? Yeah. And so, like, that's kind of the difference in approaches between those two teams. It seems like it. I mean, I might just be making that up, but I really do get that sense. No, I I think... You look at Toto and you look at Christian, um, who's set up for... And and that's in a lot of these things you kind of see like in in Ferrari as well. You know, obviously they've had a lot had a lot of issues and stuff, and mm-hmm. you kind of you kind of question the decision making. And with that yeah. team, you're always wondering like, what in the hell politics are going on behind this? That was the culture like, at Ferrari for so yeah, long. exactly. Like it has been how for so long. we are so right, we can't be wrong. Mm-hmm. And that translates into some crazy stuff happening. Yeah, it's like no, I, bafflingly wrong. <laughs> yeah, I I just finished um, Brock Yates's uh, biography on Enzo Ferrari, and mm-hmm. um, and that was one thing that I one of the takeaways from the book really was that like that organization, at least through Enzo's time, um, and even a bit after Enzo's time, was very very much run from the top down as like, here's what we're doing. If you don't like it, leave. You're gone. Or you're fired. Yeah. Um, And I think that, I think it's, you know, it's obviously like a publicly traded company now. Um, You know, there's different people in charge. So I don't think it's necessarily that autocratic, but 
that culture was the culture at Ferrari for the entirety of the Scuderia's existence until Enzo passed away in, in mm-hmm. uh, late 80s. And so, gosh, no, early 90s? Anyways. So, I mean, we're talking, he ran his team that way for yeah. 50, 60 years. That's um, crazy. You know, and so it, even if the people involved have changed, that has to be still in, in the fiber of That's that That's kind of what I think, and as you look at these teams, you know, they're kind of a, their success and their failures are in some ways kind of reflective of how the team operates, which is true mm-hmm. of really kind of any team sport, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, I totally agree. <laughs> so so it'll, it'll be interesting to see yeah. how they evolve, you know, like when things are, you know, it's like the old axiom, like victory hides, you know, covers up a I lot know. of problems. <laughs> So if they start having issues, like if if the next evolution of their car design comes out next year and there's issues and they can't figure them out, then all of a sudden, like, is it just a bunch of finger pointing or do they get their heads down and work on it together? Um, You know, that's still to be determined. But yeah. um, But, you know, one thing I I will say about that, one thing I will say about that race, a couple things, really. Mm -hmm. One you can definitely tell uh, Pierre Gasly is checked the F out. Oh, yeah. I, I yeah. don't know if you watched, like, the qualifying, but, man, he was just savaging them on the radio. Yeah. Uh, in, yeah. in a way I've never never seen him do. So I thought that yeah. was kind of interesting. And then um, it was interesting, like, nearing the end of the race when you mm-hmm. kind of saw – the limit it's almost like the limitations of these cars without Mm -hmm. drs being active Mm -hmm. um you kept seeing like lewis almost being able to pass almost being able to pass and just never being able to do it yeah (laughs) and the same thing kind of happened with perez when he was starting to creep up on uh uh charles and you kind of were like he could do it. He could do it. He's on the. Oh, he's on a straight, and there's like, oh yeah, there's no DRS. <laughs> yeah, he's, <laughs> he's not, not going around like he normally would. Yeah. Oh, that remind Gazzy reminds me. Um, I forgot to. Uh, I we forgot to mention this: the tractor incident. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was crazy. Like there was, there was a uh, a tractor that was out. I forget. Do you remember who they were trying to like? What it was trying to do, I don't remember. Oh, what yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't but, remember. Somebody else spun out. I think maybe was, was it, it Carlos? Um, I think it was Carlos. Yeah, trying okay. to get him off the track. So, so Gasly, it was kind of a weird sequence of events because I think Gasly had come out of the pits, so he was trying to catch up to the pack. Right when a yellow flag was out, and he was trying to catch up to the pace car, it was before they red flagged the race, and. There was a, but there's a, uh, one of the recovery tractor vehicles used to winch the, you know, lift up the car and get it off the, out of the way on the track. And it was on the racing line. And so what was scary was you could see from Charles or from um, Pierre's onboard, you know, they have very little visibility in the rain. It's all just kind of like a gray, gloom and then he's and he's flying along because he's not he's trying to catch up with the pace car before he then throttles down to go to the pace car speed so he's going quick and he flies right by this recovery tractor yeah and you could see him later in the pitch absolutely going berserk and like the the um people the commentators are like aghast as well because in Suz- at Suzuka years ago, a driver named Jules Bianchi was yeah. um, involved in a crash where he basically ran into the back of one of these tractors that was on the race track. Um, yeah. And these should, you know, obviously these should never be on the track when the drivers are not all tidied up behind the safety car uh, at a minimum. And uh, and Jules, it was a really sad story. He ended up having a severe yeah. traumatic brain injury. He lived on for months, actually. Yeah, but eventually, exactly. eventually died in Absolutely. the hospital. Um, and so, 
you know, that was one of Pierre's countrymen. Obviously, he knew that story well. Um, and, uh, I mean, really devastating. And, and so it was like, oh, my God, you know, how the same, like, how could this be allowed to happen? And it's just scary to see. Not good, yeah. Not so good. Suzuka, I, I'm, the FIA has, and the marshals have some explaining to do after that one, I think. But Yeah, it's um, just not something that should ever, ever happen. You no, know? no. They um, really should probably never have those trucks. Um, no, and the communication needs to be better. Like, yeah. there, like there should there should be like an all clear signal given before they're even allowed to like start getting in position. Because even yeah. if even if it, even if there's a driver kind of in trouble, like his car's on fire and he can't get out you still, you might make the situation worse if you try and rush out there and get to them with your safety trucks and all that stuff. Yeah. Because then if a, two more cars pile into the safety vehicles, like, you've made everything worse, you know? Yeah, I agree. So Yes, yeah, spooky stuff. Not spooky, good. For sure. Um, one, one other bit of F1 news we want to mention, we kind of, there was a lot of, uh, you know, with the driver silly season, there was a lot of kind of uncertainty over Daniel Ricardo's um, career for 2023 and beyond. And he has, um, <clears throat> he has said that basically he's taking 2023 off, but he intends to come back to formula one the following year. What do you make of this? <laughs> I, I've said to you before, I don't think, um, I don't think Danny's really made great dis- career decisions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To say in general. Least. And um, I feel like this is. He's staying true to character. Yeah. I mean, I think what the unfortunate truth is he's at a point where he probably unfortunately does need to go to the back markers and yeah. he needs to go to a team and he needs to outshine whoever he's racing with and prove to people that he, he can, can outdrive drive. his teammate and he can outdrive the kind of borderline car that he's given. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that, I don't know if that would even be in the cards with, you know, kind of the stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think in a way, maybe, maybe this is him kind of, you know, bowing out somewhat gracefully. Um, yeah. You know, and and not going through that where he does, you know, go to the back markers and doesn't do very well. Yeah. Yeah. And then just kind of like leaves the sport Mm -hmm. and and a little less on his terms. Yeah. Um, You know, though, that being said, you know, maybe maybe he takes a year off, you know, does some other kind of racing, does a really great job. And then, you know, something pops up. Mm-hmm. an opportunity pops up that's unexpected kind of like yeah. what happened with um Mazepin, mm-hmm. you know the whole russian thing like maybe oh, some yeah. kind of weird scenario pops up where it's like he gets back. coming back yeah yeah and ends up having like a the year off was was a great sabbatical and is in just you know different place but yeah. i don't know i think when when you kind of look at what the decisions he's made when he, you know, left Red Bull, um, he wasn't really like kicked out of Red Bull, um, you know, and then yeah, no, he, he went to Alpine, yeah. yeah, Renault, and they um, seemed to, you know, have some success, seemed to do okay, kind of on the upward swing, yeah, yeah. and then he left for McLaren, yeah, yeah, then, yeah, and then he went to McLaren thinking they would move forward, but they really, it's kind of felt like taking a step back. Oh yeah, for Um, sure. So he's mistimed it, I think in, in some respect, because Mm -hmm. of that, he hasn't really gotten comfortable with the car. Right. Um, And it's just kind of like, it's unfortunate because I love Danny. I think he's a great guy for the sport, but it does seem like he's kind of made the, wrong decision at the right time fairly consistently yeah i i totally agree i think he you know so the lead up to this was basically pierre gasly taking the seat that was left open by alonzo 
when he went mm-hmm. to Aston Martin. And then uh, AlphaTari hiring Nick DeVries uh, to take Pierre's seat. So basically the the musical chairs are kind of done with the exception of the second seat at Williams and the second yeah. seat at Haas, I believe. Yep. Because um, <clears throat> Nick hasn't officially re-signed with Haas. So, you know, that left Danny with very few seats uh, as potential options. And I think I think you're right. Um, I, I think he'll do some sort of different racing next year and put himself in a position where if he gets an offer from a team that is not a backmarker team that could at least be competitive in the midfield, he will come back. And if he doesn't get that offer, it allows him to save face by saying like, oh, actually, I'm having so much fun racing these whatever uh, World mm-hmm. Endurance Championship, you know, prototypes or whatever i'm I'm just going to keep doing this and and that that's kind of his graceful exit from f1 yeah Yeah. um i think whoever picks him up will have you know a real boon to their uh visibility and their social media presence and stuff we've told we talked about how savvy he is before as a personality he's just as a phenomenal like character but you know he really just seemed to completely lose his way and lose his mojo at McLaren. Like you listen, even with the Suzuka race, like I think he finished in fifth or sixth and the, uh, the team radio after the race, like, Hey, good job. You got, you know, finished P six. And he just sounds totally defeated, like just like miserable. Um, So I think he, I think he needs to hit the reset button one way or the other, but the, the other thing is F1's a young man's game. And it is. Daniel is in his thirties now and he's not getting any younger. And another year from now, he won't be any younger. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, if people are thinking he's maybe already over the hill, then taking a year off does nothing for him. That's and I think he knows that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, hopefully we see Danny, you know, back at some point, but um, I think it's probably, you know, yeah. it'll probably just end up being a tale of, like you said, a guy making the wrong choice at the right time. Uh, repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he may, <clears throat> you know, uh, you know, one of the things as a human, you, you kind of realize as you, you go through life and you get older is your, your success is really defined kind of like by your internal accomplishments um yeah your own and so externally you know we might look we, i might say something like that like you know he made maybe not the best decisions at the right time from my perspective they might have been good decisions you know in some ways for him and whatever he goes on to do next if he doesn't come mm-hmm. back to formula one is really enriching for him and he's mm-hmm. just like a happier human being right. instead of being like always like what what the hell happened why can't i you know get get back to my my peak. my footing and he he's mm-hmm. a guy that's just like i just i so like and just want to be successful and want him to be happy that i hope whatever he ends up doing just brings that to him back. you know yeah there's enough guys on the circuit where i'm a little more indifferent to them because i'm kind of like they're an mm-hmm. asshole like yeah. I, I don't really care if they have success in this or not because they're an the, asshole i'm not thing is, not rooting for them you know it, yeah no i agree i mean and the thing is like danny has been good enough long enough that financially he's oh, yeah. so <laughs> he can yeah. he, he can pursue things that genuinely interest him and maybe give him some of that competition, but in a different environment or, or whatever. Yeah. And, or, or hell, maybe he just says, you know what, I'm going to go spend a year on a beach in Australia. And that's cool too. <laughs> Drink you know? like, yeah. Like, yeah. Like maybe he just goes and kind of gets his mojo back. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. So I, but I agree with you. I mean, he's certainly one of the most likable guys on the grid. And so, <laughs> He's Hopefully. one of the only guys I'd want to have an actual beer with. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, so uh, that's kind of it for F1. Um, we've obviously got um, the uh, 
the race in, in Austin coming up, the uh, U.S. Grand Prix at uh, Circuit of the Americas. Um, and that'll be exciting. That's always a cool race. Um, mm-hmm. And there's still going to be some drama with the Constructors' Championship, I think, because you've got Mercedes and Ferrari within points of each other. Um, yeah. And so I think that that's still... I think Red Bull's kind of walked with... I don't think they've officially sealed yeah. it up, but they're kind of there. But uh, obviously, Mercedes and Ferrari are really going to be fighting heavily for that, so it'll be fun to see uh, how that turns out. Um, yeah. But I did want to kind of circle back to something we talked about um, on, I think it was the last episode where we had the leaked spy shots of the uh, new M2 in that baby blue color. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's officially that must been... be That must be the Zandvoort blue. I oh, read that... about that. Uh, yeah, I oh. read about that somewhere, that there was like a new blue coming oh, out for the BMW M series, and it was going to be called Zandvoort blue. And uh, somebody made passing reference to it being like a baby blue. Okay, that now makes sense. that I think back, I tie that together. And I'm like, that must be the new Zandvoort blue. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, interesting. And so Zandvoort, the the Dutch GP truck. Yeah. Um, so it got the official press pictures and announcement uh, came out, uh, and it's in a a much, you know, a better, at least a better color, like a kind of for it. I think this kind of red color. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Has it changed your opinion of the car based on, you know, compared to what we said last time? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I was on YouTube. You know, we get to the witching hour with our kiddo, and sometimes we're bad parents. And I'm like, you know what? I'll just take her and we'll go watch some car videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that usually puts her at ease. <laughs> and uh, so I was watching Joe Achilles. Uh, who I really love. I really like him. He's just such seems like such a nice guy, you know, and obviously a big BMW enthusiast. <clears throat> and um, he was talking about it and kind of showing it off. And even 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 he was like in the back corner. He said, you know, watching the car, trying to take it in for like two hours while somebody else completed their filming of it because it was kind of on a BMW set. Right, And as he was walking around the car, he was like, kind of, again, this is a BMW enthusiast, like, right. you know, enthusiastic about that the M3, the M4 does lots of videos of BMW. And mm-hmm. he's like, I'm, you know, trying to take some of these things in. He's trying to figure out how not to screw over his relationship with BMW. <laughs> basically, how yeah. to be diplomatic about it. And yeah. he, he pops up a picture of the prior M2 mm-hmm. and it just looks so much better. I would say, which is probably one of the and, best looking small two yeah. we've had in the last and X it, number of years. Really, it really kills me. It really kills me because one of the other things he said in the video is um, in, in most circumstances, I think he would be right, <laughs> but he was saying like, you know, and thank God this is made in a manual because it will prevent a, a lot of people from going to a Cayman. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know that that's true. Yeah. And I, I mean, think it leaves the option there, but... Yeah, and I think it's really just because of a lot of people, like... I, I we've, we've been talking about this, like, kind of... Um, tangentially on on an unrelated topic that maybe we'll get to maybe on the next episode, but you know, the design language and I, I don't mean this in a pejorative sense or whatever, because I I was on the hamster wheel for a while where it was just like, you know what? I got to buy a new car every three to four years because it's, you know, just do something. You get bored. Yeah. You get bored. And it's like this, this, these cars, the M3 and the M2, are kind of like wack, wackily designed. They're weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're attention-getting in kind of an offensive way. Like, it offends four out of five people, but one out of five of the people will buy them. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, that's fine if your goal is to just then jump off the wheel in four years and get something different. Right. But if you object, if you like take a step back and objectively look at these and say, is this a car that's going to age gracefully 
through a transition away from internal combustion into EVs, which are probably going to look very different. And that's going to mm-hmm. kind of set the design language for what future cars look like, right? what they should look like. I personally feel these are not going to age well at all. No. And they will kind of be looked back upon as like exactly what we're saying today. Like I'm trying to spend some time looking at this in different angles, mm-hmm. trying to make sense of this, trying to find some things that I like about it. And mm-hmm. I just effing can't. And yeah. it's really frustrating because the looks do matter to me, especially mm-hmm. if I'm not buying this to just get rid of it in four years. Like right. they matter quite a bit because it's going to be kind of like my memories and my interactions of a bygone era. Right. And I don't want to have to look back at the car when I walk away from it. Like, does it look a little better at this angle? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You want maybe. something that's <laughs> maybe yeah. you want something. And I, and I don't, and I don't want to take it to car shows and take shit all mm-hmm. the time from people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, no, unfortunately, <laughs> your thoughts have not changed. I said to my wife, "I just don't like this." Yeah, I, I, you know, when I saw all the the professional pictures, I told you, I said, "You know what's impress? It's a feat in its own right." That I it agree. Doesn't, I think you hit it the, on, on that. The design is so bad that it doesn't have a good angle, <laughs> which, like, usually. It, it doesn't like. I'm pretty sure you can find a decent I angle know, on the Pontiac I know, Aztec. I know, I know. <laughs> it doesn't. It just doesn't. I and I don't know how you in make the front view the two yeah. kidney grills. It's like it's mm-hmm. almost like they're like tucked backwards or something. Like they don't it's look right. Bizarre. There's nothing the cohesive. View, the, yeah. the back rear panel reminds me of like a Dodge Charger, which is weird. Front, From like the, the three front clip looks view, like a. Dodge caliber. Yeah. And the, the, the like air intakes on the bottom are so unproportional. It makes the M3 look good. Well, and, and they're made to look even the, bigger because of like that weird bulbous shape around the air intake too. Yeah. And then in the back view, like that three quarter view, it's like those, the court, whatever the rear quarter panel just mm-hmm. are like massively bulging, like yeah. thick with a double C. Yeah. unnecessarily thick and, and then there's like from the rear you know like i i do i do understand like some there's some parts of the world where like that back rear spoiler it's like a mm-hmm. thing to have it kind of shoot high up into the air i yeah. think it looks kind of weird and tacky but mm-hmm. whatever they decided that's the look they wanted mm-hmm. and then where the quarter panels are in the rear there's like these weird to kind of integrate them, they like sunk the reflectors like these into the bumper into that, and it just mm-hmm. like that looks it's weird. So bizarre. It's so it's it just it, it's it like just you just threw a bunch of geometry <laughs> shapes together, yeah. and you know the the thing that the thing that kills me is like I love flared fenders, and to make a design that makes flared fenders look bad is pretty freaking impressive. Um, so, I mean, that's the exterior. The exterior is a travesty. You know, what might be almost as bad to me is yeah. the interior. Uh, and, and I like the know, seats, but it's yeah, got, yeah, yeah. No, no, again, a solid TV screen for your instrument yeah, panel. Yeah. And it's that's something like, that, oh. you know, you and I, we we talked about, you know, when I was contemplating the m3 as being you know a internal combustion sports car with a manual that i was like i should go for that mm-hmm. and then when they revamped things and they kind of brought the television screen in i was like mm-hmm. we're doing weird things here like we're yeah. we've got our feet in in two eras one is like we want to go into the future into evs mm-hmm. and then we've got we're gonna dump that in this car that also then has like sports car engineering with a manual. Yeah. And it's right. just like too Jekyll and Hyde. The interior is we want to be like Tesla while the exterior yeah. and the mechanicals are where 
a bygone era. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's basically saying to the enthusiasts, we appreciate you guys. We're going to make something for you, but you've got to understand this is our entry level car. It's a mm-hmm. shared platform and everybody else besides you wants the television screen. Right. So you guys have to deal with it. We're going to mm-hmm. give you a manual, but maybe, maybe we charge you more for the manual now. Like mm-hmm. Joe was saying something about that. He's like, I think in the European version for the UK, it's actually an upcharge now for the manual. Which wow. really says a lot about where BMW's priorities. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna make the we're gonna punish the enthusiasts for wanting the manual. Basically, you yeah. Know, and I just, it's and just I think I said that to you the other day. You know, it's like if if you're the one in five people who are like, I just want to look, I just want something different. I want to be different. Mm-hmm. And I remember what's his name? Not Hammond. One of those guys. Um, May wasn't who's the main dude who like oh clarkson yeah clarkson who's irascible and mm-hmm. um <laughs> he basically said that's why he doesn't like the 911 because the damn thing hasn't changed and it irritates right. him right well right. so you know that's maybe one in five people i think most people would say it's got a pretty timeless shape cool mm-hmm. car um th- this is for the one in five people that are like i just want to be different and i want to be different now I like change and for change's sake. Yeah. For change's sake. And I'm not going to own this car for a long time. It's going to get, it's going to go into the dump someday and get, yeah. and, and get com- this compressed is, in the trash. This is just like my like, phone and my TV. I replace it every few years. Yeah. yeah. And this is kind of weird. It's wacky. I'll go for it for five years or four or three or whatever they decide to do. Mm-hmm. But in the canon of BMW, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't think this is going to age well. No, I mean, I, I just, I don't see. There's nothing graceful about it, and I think you look back historically at the cars that are considered like the most beautiful cars of all time, and there's something graceful about them. There's smoothness to the lines. There's, I mean, there's some boxier cars like the F40 that are timeless for for what they represent. But if we're talking beautiful cars, there is yeah, yeah, yeah. there is a lightness to them. They're you know they they have a look of vibrancy and lightness, and this thing just looks like it looks like a mutated Lego. I it's just so yeah, bizarre, it's, man. It's like um, <clears throat> I'm gonna need some help here because you're the shoe guy. What? <laughs> okay, it's like the 50 year old guy with. You know, the new like balances. who's got like the what were those shirts that got banned from bars a few years ago? Oh, like, oh, um, uh, well, are you talking about like the affliction t shirts? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's got affliction t shirt, yeah, he's got seven prominent oh, yeah. jeans and boot cut with golden goose shoes. It's like Mm-hmm. How does this come together? How does yeah. this work? I don't yeah. I don't know what you're going for here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's the that's the that's the real heart of it is I don't I think the design direction at BMW doesn't know I think they've lost the plot on what who they are as a brand. And they don't yeah. And and they don't really know who they're for anymore. You know? I, I don't know. Are we just old guys now? Just like crotchety old guys that just no, are uh... I so I, I've th- I've wondered that with some of this stuff but like when you look at so when this got announced you know I obviously the covers come off of it and it's on Road and Tracks Instagram and Motor Trends Instagram and you know etc and if you look at the comments on Instagram on Twitter on the comments on Road and Tracks website or wherever you're looking it is near uniform. God, this is ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and, and presumably if you're commenting on road and tracks website, you're probably an enthusiast, you know? Um, yeah. So I don't think we're alone. I think if you are a fan of the brand and you grew up seeing E30s or E36s or E46s or the E39 M5, 
and you're like, God, those are great. And even, I mean, hell, even the last gen M3, M4 was a really pretty car. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you look, and I mean, dude, it's not like we're that far removed. The last generation M2 was beautiful. I agree. And now you come to this, it's like, what in the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah. Like, why, the design director must have some serious uh, blackmail on the people running the company. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like um, it's, at the end of the day, for me, it's just disappointing. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're getting we're, we these are kind fans. of last dances with some of these cars. Mm-hmm. And... And this is what you're going to. We've put got out? things like the Blackwing, which look good. The, the Corvette Six, yeah, the Mustangs, and then mm-hmm. BMW, who is like this really kind of nice niche of like. Comes out I wouldn't this... call them affordable performance, yeah. but they're aspirational it's, sports cars. It's, it's pretty reasonable. It's like reasonably yeah. priced. It's, Attain- it's approachable. They're yeah, they're and it just feels like the the bed was completely shit. Well, Just they came out with this, the bed. this and the BMW XM. It's like, that's that's where you're at as a brand, like monolithic. And that's just like, you know, the M3. It's just like, apparently that's where we're going. And I guess. Right. Well, and the other thing to point out, too, is like, <clears throat> this is 200 kilograms more than the last M2. <clears throat> so it's just getting to be a, por- I mean, it's yeah. almost two tons. It's a porker of a car for its yeah, size. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's just disappointing. I'm extremely yeah. disappointed. I I had hoped with, you know, maybe the, the M3's design being kind of wacky that back. that they would have dialed it back and really delivered mm-hmm. on a home run that was like, this is a great car. It's amazing on the track. It's manual. Mm-hmm. It looks good. And then it, oh, they just didn't. They didn't at all. They didn't do all. it. No. Um, so... I did want to just touch on briefly kind of some some breaking news, basically. Uh, this was just came out today. Um, so the, the new GT3 RS uh, had not run an official time at the Nürburgring yet because weather, the, the day they had gone to do it, weather was really bad, so they postponed it. So it ran today, and it ran a 644-848 around the Nürburgring. And to give some context to that, that makes it the fastest naturally aspirated production car around the Nurburgring. It beat the 2018 GT2 RS, which has 173 more horsepower. Uh, and it was within 1.2 seconds of the AMG GT Black Series, which has like 200 more horsepower. Um, so, I mean, really showing how insane that air advantage is with. Yeah with what they've done to the exterior of the car to make it so much faster. My, my, which impressive mechanically, unbelievable yep. design that the engineering that goes into the aerodynamics, unbelievable The drive, the driver, the in-car video of this drive is in, in, incredibly impressive. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I kind of mentioned this to you a while back when this, came out, I think it was after our last show, we were just kind of chatting. I think this is Porsche going into its kind of what I've, I've described as like the Senna moment, where like McLaren came out with the McLaren Senna, which was this uncompromising track-oriented car. And almost universally, people are like, that is one of the ugliest cars you've ever made. And it is extremely ugly. But you know what else is? <laughs> It's incredibly smart in how it uses its aerodynamics, and it's a beast on track. So for its purpose, it is undisputably excellent, but it's freaking ugly. And the more I looked at the GT3 RS, the 992, the more I think it's impressive and it's ugly. (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree. It's just too busy. It's There's just really too busy. much going on. And, um, you know, I think that if if you can take a step back and appreciate it, um, you know, for, like, its purpose, kind of like you were saying with the Senna, it, there's some appreciation there. Mm-hmm. But 
I mean, the the car that you have ties all this thing in, all of this together nicely, and it still looks good. Right. And, you know, the wing is like a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Whereas this feels just like, like kind of like boy racer. Like it, it just, yeah. it feels like there's like a lot of kind of like OEM, um, like or aftermarket, like plasticky things glued onto it. Right. And, and we know they're all useful. But and we know that they're all useful. Yeah. But we also know that there's a lot of people that glue that kind of stuff on there, like Honda Civics, right. and it's useless. And and right. so it it just I because of that I um <clears throat> you know when you see that stuff on a Formula One car it's like very cool certainly mm-hmm. has a purpose yeah but on a car that also drives on the road you know you're like does is that just some you know uh, you know pet boys crap that you bought and right <laughs> yeah yeah you ran into I don't an know auto why zone I feel that way i just yeah <laughs> well and the thing is like those all those aero pieces are extremely useful on track but aesthetically they don't look great and if yeah. you're driving this on the road you get zero benefit from them because yeah. below a certain speed they, they have no they don't really yeah. provide much downforce at all and so you really have to get on track to use any of what this is built for, which fair enough, that's what it's built for. If you, you know, the GT three is supposed to be the the more road oriented car, but I think Porsche just took it too far in, in that direction. Um, And I think it's just simply, uh, they are the product of their own success. You know, they have these Nuremberg times that mm-hmm. if they want to move these things, you know, and make money, the, the right. time's got, it has to fall. It has right. to go down. Right. And yeah. uh, they bo- kind of box themselves in a hole. Cause it's like, well, we need it to be naturally aspirated. We and need it to be high. Out. Yeah. Yeah. How the hell do we get any more out of this? And it's like, the answer is arrow. And yeah. so the question then is, <clears throat> For the next version, let's say down the road from here, mm-hmm. I I don't think that thing can be naturally aspirated. Like, well, that's the question. Is, right? Isn't like, the equation been satisfied at this point? Like, mm-hmm. we've taken the equation to the limit. We have the answer, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> this I, is it. So, I think what could be interesting. So, you know, ever since the nine nine six generation, there's been, uh a second there's been a a 99x.1 and .2 so this is essentially the 992.1 because mm-hmm. presumably there's going to be a 992.2 that's going to be tweaked and fettled with and yeah. be a little bit quicker and my hypothesis is that they are going to introduce a mild hybrid system yeah. So that's still naturally aspirated, and then the hybrid system will. So, the one problem with the that engine is mm-hmm. torque. It doesn't have a lot of torque down low. So, if you and I are in the car, and it's at two thousand revs or fifteen hundred revs, yeah. and you slam on the pedal, it's actually incredibly underwhelming until you get to about three thousand. Yeah. So what I, did I think they could. That. What I think they could do is have a hybrid system yeah, that yeah, provides yeah. torque fill down low, and then it screams all the way up to 9,000. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing I think they could do to maintain the naturally aspirated part of it and the people that want a GT3 to be naturally aspirated while still upping the ante again. That's probably fair, and it certainly does sound like that's the direction they're moving. I well, mean, the 90s said the built with hybrid yeah. capacity. Now, from my from my perspective, um, <clears throat> I kind of this is something, and and maybe I'm just out to Mars here, and I'm just not grounded in any reality. Um, <laughs> I feel like as we add more and more of these systems to these cars. When you look at the GT3 and you look at, in fact, many of the 911s today that are being produced, 
uh, you, you can't even really see or get access to the engine. <clears throat> oh, yeah. These cars are becoming more and more complicated, more mm-hmm. and more software driven, mm-hmm. more and more. The word I, I, I use is Frankensteins, where mm-hmm. we've got internal combustion engines, we've got All electrified together. systems. Right. And the unfortunate truth is I, I would love to have one of these in in manual form as kind of a celebration of the end of this era. Mm-hmm. But practically speaking, I don't actually know if it makes sense to hold on to a car like that um, for a long time because of how complicated they are. Yeah. You know, when you take a car with a hybridized system, you know, like our, the X five, mm-hmm. um, you know, just some kind of independent body shop and in, in, you know, 10 years time, are they like, Oh, we don't mess with that stuff. Yeah. You know, we do internal combustion engines and these Frankensteins that kind of are bridging the gap between internal combustion and, you know, full electrification. We don't mess with them. Yeah. We don't mess with them. And like, what place do they have? Mm-hmm in um long-term reliability when it's like well most of us yeah. can jump through electrification and the 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 artisans that are still practicing the mm-hmm. art of internal combustion you know mechanics yeah. uh they don't want to work on that stuff and right. so you're left with these cars in this kind of limbo state where mm-hmm. nobody really wants them too complicated, too many mechanical parts purgatory. Yeah, basically, that's what I I, I do honestly under that man. I would never personally buy an enthusiast car that I plan on keeping for a long time. Uh, that's a hybrid. Yeah, I just I don't. I think that's you're going to run into issues with batteries and and people that know how to work. It's just like it's not worth it. You know, for your X5 that you're going to replace in four or five years. Yeah, sure. exactly. That's a hamster wheel car. Like, that yeah. will come and go. And, right. um, and so it's like, I, I don't have any expectation to hold that in, all, in mm-hmm. the long run. And I'm sure the next person that owns it would, yeah. would probably be wise if they got an extended warranty, maybe. Well, it's and like they I own told it you. for another four years and the car gets, you know, a 10 to 12-year mm-hmm. lifespan. Like, not terrible. Well, probably. <laughs> We're we're talking today at work, and it's like I I told you like what what used to just be the realm of the flagship German cars, the S class, the seven series, the the you know A eights, where they were all the latest tech, and it would filter down eventually to lower models. What what happened with those is people were buying those for the tech, and then. In five years, four years, they'd end up on the used market with some of the worst depreciation of any car you could buy. <laughs> and it's know. because you're buying all the complexity of that $100,000, $150,000 S-Class, all the problems that that complexity brings. Yeah. And now you're five years into the life cycle of that car. Like, no one yeah. wants that headache. Nobody wants that headache. And, you know, the only people that are going to be able to work on it are the dealership. And God forbid it's out of some kind of warranty. Oh, they're coming for your, your your checkbook for sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think sticking with oh. a simple turbo setup or, in my opinion, preferably a naturally aspirated setup, just keeping it as simple as you can is, yeah. you know, for a collector enthusiast car has got to be the way to go. So, Amen. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Um, be sure to tune in. We'll have another episode in a couple of weeks. Uh, until then, uh, you know, check us out on Instagram at the Blow Out Podcast. Be sure to, uh, you know, subscribe to us, rate us, review us on uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And until then, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.